You got to be careful about your reputation, I think, in this space. I think that it's important to be seen as a really great team player, hard worker, real member focused, mission focused. That'll take you a long way. Some great advice from one of the association community's finest leaders. And just a little teaser of what's coming up on episode three of VSAE Connections, an original podcast series focused on the interconnectivity of Virginia's association community, produced by the Virginia Society of Association Executives. I'm your host, Colby Horton, and I'm here with my colleague and co-host, Frank Humada. So Frank, Thanksgiving has just passed, and here we are again in the hustle and bustle of another holiday season. Yeah, we are. And in the giving spirit, we have an impactful and innovative leader on today's podcast, sharing her journey to the association world, her passions and her challenges, and gifting some advice for aspiring leaders. You know, certain people are the epitome of great leadership. And you said it. Today's guest is that perfect example. Leading differently in today's times and with a data-driven framework to business planning and strategy, Christina Llewellyn is a seasoned association executive who has served industries ranging from window manufacturers to court reporters to proposal writers. Named the executive director of the Association of Technology Leaders in Independent Schools in 2019, Christina currently serves in a variety of ways as an advocate for independent schools and their leadership teams. We've got a lot to chat about today, so let's connect with Christina Llewellyn. Welcome to the podcast, Christina. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Glad you're here. So your career journey is that quintessential journey where you start at the bottom, you move up, you learn a lot, you make some changes, you pivot, you move up some more, you develop further. And the next thing you know, you're the executive director of a national association. Almost make it sound easy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and we all know it's not. Going back to your beginnings, though. You started your career as a journalist. Can you talk to us about that experience and how you eventually transitioned yeah, to the association I world? I did some time in newspapers. I worked at local newspapers up in Western New York. And I met my husband. I got married. We went to the D.C. area. I had connections that landed me in television rather than newspapers. And I just really missed the writing. I did the field producing thing for um, for a TV station local to D.C. for a few years, but I just missed writing. I missed the longer format of what I had gone to school for and what I had started my career in. And so I was able to transition over to a magazine and the trade publication that I worked for was owned by an association. And so I, like many people, knew nothing of association management until I landed at that publication. So I spent a good few years in the publications space and came up with some cool, I think, business ideas and some new lines of business for that association, which prompted me to go back to school, get my MBA. And then from there, I kind of built a career where I was overseeing the communications teams and the magazine teams and eventually the membership team. And I think that with that business degree, I was able to uh, lend a lot of financial expertise and business development expertise to the associations where I was working. So eventually I kind of got into that vice president space and hopped around in a couple different titles covering a really broad spectrum of roles at an association. And from there, I kind of said, you know what, I really think I could do the CEO gig. And so I set a goal and I thought, well, I'll, I'll get there over the course of time. And eventually I did get there. So it was really great. And I do feel like I bring a lot of background and expertise. And I still love writing for my association's magazine, by the way. So I never really got too far away from that. That's great. And see, I think my summary was spot on, right? 
I, I think we nailed it in, in 30 right. seconds up, or less. Up and down, in and out, but That's get right. a lot of experience. And I think honestly, when you work in an association, the more opportunity you have to play a different role, you know, as you move through your career, it's really awesome. And I think there's a lot of flexibility in associations that allow you to say, you know what, I really want to get into marketing why don't I start by helping with this project and maybe my bosses will see me as somebody who's got some skills in marketing. So it's kind of easy to make those pivots in an association community because there's a safety there because there's always something to be done. We always need another set of hands. So it's kind of cool to be able to, you know, expand your experience just by being at the same place. It's kind of unique, I think. Yeah. I think that's the benefit of working at an association. Definitely. You get yeah, to for real. get to get, dip your toe in a number of different things. Yep. Christina, every executive has their own leadership style. What would you say yours is and what changes were made post-pandemic to help your staff moving forward? That's a good question. I do think I often say I'm kind of a zebra among giraffes. I think I'm kind of unique (laughs) in my approach. I definitely come from a small town, you know, kind of farm family work ethic. And so I knew that as I was able to make my pivots in my career and have these opportunities, And even as I expanded my education, my experiences, I never wanted to become the CEO that wouldn't take out her own trash at the end of the day, right? And so I have a certain humility, I think, that I bring to my leadership in that I'm not going to ever ask a teammate to do something that either I haven't done myself or I wouldn't do myself. And so that kind of is the character I, I think I bring to how I manage my team. And Knowing that, I think my team realizes that I will jump in and get my hands dirty if there's some kind of big lift that we're all going through. We're in it together. I'm not exempt from getting my hands dirty or doing the dishes or whatever other thing needs to be done. Going through the pandemic, I changed a bit, but I don't think I changed as much as some executive directors in that we already had a fairly decentralized and results-focused culture at Atlas. I don't really care when people work. And I don't say that to be provocative. And I also don't judge other leadership styles, right? Um, But I truly just don't care when people work. And I think that as I kind of came through my leadership journey, I learned along the way what was so incredibly gut-wrenching for me as an employee. And I just would, along the way, I'd be like, man, if I'm ever in charge, it's not going to be this way. If I'm ever in charge, I'm going to give my employees what they need to be successful and get out of the way. And I just kind of held on to that. Maybe that humility piece, right? As I, as I came up through, I never let go of that. So after the pandemic, we've actually embraced or even doubled down on the way that we work at Atlas. And I think that I let my team do what they're going to do on the schedule they want to do it on. We adopted recently unlimited PTO we work four-day work weeks at Atlas, and that works because my staff understands that to meet the demands of what I expect, we just all have to be productive and focused while we're working. So I think where other organizations had to get used to working in a virtual environment, we actually just took what we were already good at and said, you know what, I think we can make it better. So we did. We found ways to be real focused when we're together and also how to communicate in a more streamlined way so that you know, we could have some more flexibility in terms of the balance that we're all looking for right now. Yeah. So I think that the association world has been dealt a pretty unique hand the last two and a half years. Sounds like Atlas was at the forefront of being prepared for it, which is a huge accomplishment in itself. But today, what's your biggest challenge? 
You know, I think that it's challenging to grow fast and Atlas is for sure growing fast. And I know that that in some ways is a happy problem. Uh, It's a place of privilege, right? That I recognize and accept, but we are a fairly young organization. We're a national organization based in Virginia, um, but we are growing really fast. And so a big challenge for me is making sure that we're not getting out ahead of our skis. What that means is it puts a little pressure on my team. I don't want to hire before we're ready for it because I recognize every new staff person we add to our team that's a family and a person to support like that. That's somebody's livelihood. So I don't take those decisions lightly. And so I know that I need to make sure that we are growing at an appropriate rate. But what that means sometimes is that my team is working harder than they maybe will have to eventually. So I'm a little conservative on how quickly I move with growth on the staff side, growth on the vendor side. I try to make sure that we're working efficiently and I try to stay out of their way so they can do great work, but I know they're working hard. So a lot of people will say, oh, four day work weeks. Can I work for you? And I sometimes think maybe you want to talk to my staff first because you may not want to work for me. I know it sounds cute, but I think that I'm pretty demanding because our members deserve it and we're growing real fast. I also think my staff trusts that as we grow, I'll take good care of them they will be rewarded uh, and they won't have to work like this forever. But right now, sometimes that is a challenge. And what career advice do you have for aspiring professionals? And I'm going to use the word aspiring. And what advice do you have for executives on how to appeal to these professionals? I do think that as executives, we kind of need to check ourselves. There's a mirror holding exercise that needs to happen right now because the pandemic has changed us. And I would just assert that old management styles and old management approaches just aren't going to work moving forward. And so even if, like at first, the idea of moving to a four-day work week made me a little bit uncomfortable, I had to be willing to give that a try so that my staff wouldn't burn out. I had to get creative on things like that. you know. And I think that as managers, we have to recognize that what got us here to this position, okay, finally, you're at the big desk, the corner office, you're the CEO, but what got you here might not serve you well moving forward. And if you don't have enough self-reflection to take a moment, take a beat and acknowledge that, I think that some managers are really going to struggle. I don't care how great a CEO they are and how great they are with their boards, which is a whole different thing. I do think that if you can't manage your team in a more contemporary and flexible way, you're going to be struggling and you're going to lose them. People like me are going to come steal them. (laughs) But I think that, you know, when it comes to like advice that I have, I do think that there's nothing that hard work won't solve. You know, you may be in a toxic situation. You may have goals for yourself that your current employer doesn't recognize or celebrate. You can get around that. You can, you know, you can find a better boss. You can find a better opportunity. There's always going to be opportunities. But what you're not going to be able to fake for very long, especially in the association community, is your character and your work ethic. I mean, we all know each other. It's an incredibly small community. And trust and believe that if you've worked at any association, chances are I know someone who either knows that association or used to work there. You got to be careful about your reputation, I think, in this space. I think that it's important to be seen as a really great team player, hard worker, real member focused, mission focused. That'll take you a long way in this space. Great. I want to go back to your roots just a tad. And something that you mentioned earlier is the fact you still write for your your magazine, which I think is great. So when it comes to member communication and content access, 
What advice can you give fellow executive directors? You know, I think that you have to stay really connected to your members that you know what they're dealing with regularly. And if you're just using your board as a focus group, I don't think that's good enough. I don't think that Hmm. is necessarily deep enough. So it's important for me that if I'm going to be the face of my industry, of my membership, I need to understand what their pain points are. We have regular town hall style events so that my staff and I are constantly tapping into what their challenges are. We make sure that we're providing an interesting mix of both celebration of who they are as members, but also what they could accomplish with thought leadership and and great ideas that they could bring back to their individual schools. So we focus a lot on the member, but I think my advice or kind of the thing I keep in the back of my head is it's important to actually really love your members. And too many of us that do this work get in this space where we complain about our members or, you know, our board members annoy us or our members are so high maintenance. If you're internally or even visibly rolling your eyes when your members need something, that's a problem. And so I I think that when it comes to really authentic communication and making sure that I have a two-way communication with my members, you know, I just, I love them. I love the work they do. I respect the work that they do. And I've tried to, at every space I've been in, make sure that I don't get into a place where I'm ever cynical about my members. And then if that's the truth, if you can truly say you respect your members, then you bring a level of authenticity to your communication that's kind of hard to fake, honestly. Yeah, I think that authenticity is so important today. I think it's what members look for. It's what keeps associations afloat in the end. You know, you you have to be human. You have to be authentic. And that's that's what they're looking for. I agree. So as a national association, what drew you to VSAE and why should more national organizations get involved with this community? Yeah, VSAE is special. It just feels different. It's hard to describe, but I think what I was looking for, I'm active in our national space and I serve on committees and I go to events, but I was looking for a smaller group. And if I'm honest, you know, when you go to these national events year after year, sometimes you, or at least I found that I was running with my besties, right? My very good friends, colleagues, people that I respect. And I was getting a little out of touch with the emerging leaders in our space. And so if I'm honest, part of why I went seeking BSAE, it was for my own networking but not to find more people like me, right? I wanted to find this next generation of leaders because I want the best and the brightest working at my association. And I feel like we have something to offer them. And so I went to VSAE because I went looking for like my local group, my local community of association executives and where the greater Washington used to have a community that's not in existence anymore. And so I said, well, I'm in Virginia, I'm in Winchester, let's Let's see what that's like. And I love it. I think that while it predominantly focuses on state associations that are in the Richmond area, we need to like kind of shake that off mentally because VSAE is association people doing association things. The great thing is that they're nearby. So we can go have lunch. We can have a golf event or, you know, some kind of networking thing or smaller professional development opportunities so that we can just be with the same people and get to know some people who are doing this work in our proverbial backyard. Honestly, geography doesn't really matter. It could be any state association. 
I was just looking for a smaller community. I love what I found in BSAE. I think it's a really great organization doing some really important work. And I do love that it provides the kind of PD that my next generation staffers, like my up and coming superstars on my team are finding a lot of value in BSAE's PD opportunities, like their Association Leadership Virginia program, which is like a long cohort. It's a many month cohort of up and comers, the superstars that are going to be doing these podcasts with you in a couple years. Um, and I love that BSAE offers programming, affordable, frankly, programming for my team. So it's cool. It's a cool organization to be a part of. Well, we're looking forward to talking to those folks in the future. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> <laughs> Not association world related, but I believe you're celebrating a 10-year anniversary of an international gold medal victory. For our listeners, <laughs> can you tell a little about that? Yeah. Oh, this is something that I, I swear my my burden and my blessing is I have to explain this at every job interview I've done in the last 10 years. I grew up in the barbershop acapella harmony singing space. My dad loved it and he joined uh, a men's organization the year that I was born. And so I had barbershop singers, quartet singers, chorus singers around me my entire life. It's how I met my husband. And years later, I did get together with a, a group of women here in the greater kind of Washington area, the DC metro area. And we went to our international competition and we won. So our quartet Epic is celebrating its 10th anniversary. And so if you Google me, you will often find me in a gold medal on a stage somewhere with three other women who are wearing my same outfit. So people always kind of have to understand that. But I think the craziest thing is that in our world, you in the women's organization, when you win a gold medal, you also win a crown. And so there are a lot of pictures of me in a tiara. And I assure you, I did not win any pageant, but I did win a singing competition. So <laughs> that's my lot in life. <laughs> We should make sure your headshot has that crown on it, no doubt. Um, I think that Google could help you with that. I'm <laughs> personally not going to feed into this narrative, but if you want to look it up, you can go find it easily. We will find it. We are master <laughs> Googlers. <sighs> oh, the interwebs. <laughs> now, as someone who's looking to renovate my bathroom, do you know anyone who might be able to help me? Oh, no. You've been talking to my husband. I'm sorry, <laughs> Richard. I love you. Um, yeah, so I think that during the pandemic, a lot of people started like baking bread and I started ripping walls out. I don't know. I mean, actually, I've done this my whole life. Um, I owned my first house when I was 21. And I just have always loved renovating and pulling things apart and figuring out how they work. So I think when people meet me, they have a certain perception of me. Maybe it's my nails are done or my heels are on or whatever. But actually, I love breaking those nails frequently. Currently kind of tearing up our master bathroom, trying to behave myself because my travel schedule is intense. But definitely have kind of tackled one room at a time and replaced a lot of stuff in my house. I just offered my friend, my very best friend, she needs a garbage disposal. So she was like waiting on repairmen. And I'm like, well, I'm coming over for dinner tomorrow. Why don't you just let me do it? She was appalled. She's like, no, you are not replacing my garbage disposal. I'm like, I could do it in 20 minutes, dude. Just let me do it. She wouldn't let me do it. Missed opportunity. I know. So outside of singing, outside of breaking down walls, what are you passionate about? <sighs> you know, I think I'm passionate certainly about my family. I've been married for 20 years. We have four daughters together and that's kind of crazy. They range in age from 17 to 21. So I have a lot of girls in my house. 
I think that that plus the fact that, oh, just in terms of how I was raised, my really tight knit family, I am an advocate for women and just having a voice and making sure not in, in any kind of, you know, over the top and aggressive way, but in meaningful and impactful ways. I think that we as women have a job to be really awesome to each other. And so I try to do that in my career. I try to make sure I had some great female mentors as I was coming up through. I try to offer that to women who are looking for that kind of support now. And I try to set a really great example for my daughters, regardless of what field they go into. I want them to see that being independent and being hardworking will get you down a path and give you a lot of options in life. So definitely passionate about that too. Excellent. So we kicked off the show talking about your beginnings as a journalist. If a reporter was to do a story on your life, what aspect would you want to be featured? Hmm. That's a really great question. I think that I have to go with the fact that our family is a really unique family and I'm really proud of it and how far we've come. I have two biological daughters and two adopted daughters. They're two sets of sisters and my biological children are the brown eyes and my adopted children are the blue eyes. So we call them the brown eyes and the blue eyes. I'm really proud of the family that we've built. And so I think that the thing that I would probably respond with is, is simply that, you know, kind of like that cheesy, like family is, is what you make of it or family is who you choose. And so my husband and I are just really proud that despite some really challenging circumstances about how we came together as a family, it was not expected. It was, you know, it wasn't part of our life plan to adopt another set of sisters, but our four beautiful girls, they make me so proud every day. So I'm proud of the work that I do. And I'm proud of the way that I serve my community and, and my team and my board. I, I just also, you know, I'm proud of my home life too. I think that we're setting a good example for our girls and uh, Richard and I work really hard to make sure they know they're supported every day. Beautiful story. Very important. Thanks for joining us today, Christina. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And thanks everyone for listening to this episode of VSAE Connections. Join us each month as we continue our conversations with VSAE members about life, work, and the communities they serve. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And on behalf of VSAE, I'm Colby Horton with Frank Humata. Thanks again for listening.